Anyway, turn your Bible to Second Chronicles chapter 7. These are very familiar verses that probably are often used this time of the year. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. And the Lord appeared unto Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, there to be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent, under the prayer that is made in this place. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privileges ours to meet together here today. We thank you for the rich heritage we have as a nation. But Lord, we thank you even more for the rich heritage which we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us understand that what we have in our nation is fruit of what people that have gone before us have lived, have sacrificed, and died in its fruit of a relationship with you. That all liberty comes from God. And so, Father, we pray you bless this time. Just challenge us and encourage us as a church, as individuals, to be faithful do our part to glorify you in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this text, of course, is the direct application is to Israel. That's the context. You know, Israel was a theocratic, was supposed to be a theocratic um, government where God was their king, although, you know, they rejected that really and made themselves kings over, over their nation because they wanted to be like all the other nations around them. Uh, but, you know, you know their, their relationship with the Lord is what sustained them as a nation. You know, I believe the Bible teaches us and that history teaches us that, that our nation and, and our relationship with the Lord as individuals and as churches is what brought about this great nation that we know. Francis Tocqueville, who was a French statesman, a uh, century ago, visited America, and upon his return home, he wrote, quote, I sought the greatness of America in her harbors and rivers and fertile fields, her mines and commerce. It was not there. Not until I went into the churches and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the greatness of her power. America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, 
America will cease to be great, unquote. You know, I would say we're at that point or beyond where we cease to be great, not to be discouraging. I don't, I don't like these discouraging messages, but, but um, it's not discouraging, but this point, this part of it is. This came out of a magazine called The Voice in the Wilderness in July 2000. And it says this, can you imagine working for the following company? It has a little over 500 employees with the following statistics. 29 have been accused of spousal abuse. Seven have been arrested for fraud. 19 have been accused of writing bad checks. 117 have bankrupted at least two businesses. Three have been arrested for assault. 71 cannot get a credit card due to bad credit. 14 have been arrested on drug-related charges. Eight have been arrested for shoplifting. 21 are current defendants in lawsuits. In 1998 alone, 54 were stopped for drunk driving. Can you guess which organization this is? It is, it is the 535 members of your United States Congress. The same group that perpetually cranks out hundreds upon hundreds of new laws designed to keep the rest of us in line. You wonder why we have problems. By the way, they're just representative of our American culture. They really are. Uh, you see, America, America was great because America was good. And our nation was founded, you know, let the, let the liberals say what they will, our nation was founded upon Christian principles. Ben Franklin, uh, give me, let me read some quotes here. Ben Franklin said this, quote, he, shall, he who shall introduce into public affairs the principles of a primitive Christianity. Let me stop there and say something. Primitive Christianity is New Testament Christianity, which is Bible-believing Baptist Christianity. That's what it is. But anyway, who introduced the principles of primitive Christianity will change the face of the world, unquote. Thomas Jefferson said, the reason, quote, the reason that Christianity is the best friend of government is because Christianity is the only religion that changes the heart, unquote. John Adams, quote, the highest story of the revolution is this. It connected in one indissolvable bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Uh, Noah Webster, quote, the religion which has introduced civil liberty in, is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitutions of government, unquote. James Madison said, quote, We stake the whole future of American civilization not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the commandments of God. The future and success of America is not in the Constitution, but in the laws of God upon which this Constitution is founded, unquote. Do you know why our, our government is so big? It's because Americans no longer govern themselves. They no longer govern themselves. Uh, John Jay, first Supreme Court Justice, first Chief 
Justice Supreme Court, said, quote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is a duty as well as the privilege and interest of the Christian of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers, unquote. And now we got Bernie Sanders saying that Christians have no right to be in government. Benjamin Rush, quote, let the children be carefully instructed in the principles and obligations of the Christian religion. This is the most essential part of education. The great enemy of the salvation of man, in my opinion, never invented a more effectual means of removing, of extirpating, or means removing, Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible at schools, unquote. And of course, in 19, was it 1962 or 63, we, we, we put the Bible out of public school. Uh, and, and, you know, I could go on and on and on. In fact, John Adams made the statement that, that our Constitution will only work for a Christian people. It will work for no other. And so, as we think about our nation this morning and the situation that we are in, you know, I'm, by the way, I'm encouraged with some of the things I've seen since the last election, but, but we're, we're deeply steeped in cultural relativism and, um, uh, you know, religious apostasy, and, and I, I, you know, don't have a lot of hope for our country, but, but, um, but that doesn't change what we, we ought to do. So anyway, let, let's look at this. I want to look at several things here from this passage, which, which really applies to us as individuals. It applies to churches, and as it does apply to us as individuals and to churches, it will affect our nation. Our nation. So... Well, notice four things. First of all, in verse 14, it says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. So I've got four simple points. It's, it's first of all, humiliation. It's humiliation, supplication. Uh, there is, uh, uh, let, me, let me just give you the four points here before you get started. Humiliation, supplication, uh, repudiation, and restoration. So first of all, Humiliation. If we will humble ourselves, you know, to, humili to humble yourself is really to be, just be honest with yourself. And, and we need to, as we think about humbling ourselves before God, it, we need to realize what we really are and accept the fact that what we really are. We are sinners in the sight of God. Romans, Romans chapter 3 and gives us a, a, a pretty clear description of, of humanity. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Rome in Romans 3, in verses 9 through 18, he says, What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. We have before proved, both Jew and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. You know, he, he talked about the comparison of the, the prophet of being a Jew, but he said we're all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. The throat is an open sepulcher. With her tongues they have used deceit. The poison of apse is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have, not, have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And you know, it's a description of America this morning. You know, we have nothing, you know, like we have nothing to crow about in ourselves. Job said in Job 42.6, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And God called Job a righteous and upright man that feared God and eschewed evil. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. So we need to realize, first of all, what we are. We need, to, we need to accept the fact with Daniel, like Daniel said, we have sinned. You know, Daniel was a righteous man, but Daniel said when he was, when he, when he was praying and, and asking the Lord for, for understanding the vision, he, he said, well, we have sinned. We've not listened to you. We've not obeyed your commandments, and therefore this, has come, this captivity has come upon us. Brother Hoyle brought out this morning in Ezra how the, the children of Israel were and, and, and telling uh, Shatnai, the governor, uh, why they were building. It says, you know, we were taken into captivity because our fathers did not obey the Lord. They were honest. So we need to be honest with ourselves. You know, our land is polluted with blood. A million and a half babies every year since 1973. Our streets are filled with murders. Our jails are full of people that should be executed. Adultery is no longer considered adultery. It's just living together. It's an alternate lifestyle. And I could go on and on and on. So we need to be honest with ourselves to realize what we are. We need to be honest with God. That God is just in judging us because of our sins. Go to, go to Daniel chapter 9 for just a moment. Daniel chapter 9. Yeah, in the first few verses, he talks about how they had sinned. Verse 5 says, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity. And then in verse 9, he says, O Lord, Righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us? In other words, here's what belongs to us because of our sin. Confusion of faces as it is this day. Let me ask you a question. Is our country confused? It's full of confusion. It, it, it is just it's divided. And so many people are just con completely confused. They have no philosophy or reason or, 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 or uh, philosophy of life. So, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as it is this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and they're far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespasses that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. You know, we license those to sell liquor and arrest those that drink it. And so, 
We need to be honest with ourselves and with the Lord. Secondly, there needs to be supplication. He goes on and says in, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We need to pray. The word, the word, the word supplication is a strong word for prayer. And it means to request. Uh, we need to make our request and seek to God and seek his face. Seek his face. It reminds me of what Ezra says. In Ezra, I think it's Ezra chapter 8. You know, Ezra uh, is returning back to the land of Israel. And... Um, uh, and he, it says he, he they stopped by the river of Hava and fasted for three days, and they sought a right way of the Lord. So we need to beseech God and seek his face. To seek his face. The idea here is to seek a right way. To seek to do his will. You know, we, we need to come to God confessing our sins and seeking him, seeking his will for our life. Psalm 119 verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and seek him with the whole heart. Jeremiah 29 13, And ye shall seek me and shall find me when ye search for me with all your heart. Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Psalm 27, Psalm 27, verses 8 through 10, he, you know, he talks about this seeking the face of the Lord. And it says, When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. So again, the idea of him seeking his face here is that he would look to God, not anyone else, for his help, for his direction. He would keep the Lord always before his face. Like Psalm 16, 8 says, I, I, uh, I've kept the Lord before, before me. Behold, he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Why? He's always before me. In other words, he's here at my face. I'm looking at and to him. See, the problem in our society is we've not looked to the Lord. We've looked to, you know what we've done in churches? We've looked to conventions and denominations. And we've lost our effectiveness as churches. You know, the greatest impact that Bible-believing churches had, and I believe in American history, was the time, around the time of the Revolution. And there wasn't a Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention then. There were no conventions. I mean, they had camp meeting type things where they met and fellowshiped and talked about certain things and doctrines and, you know, and whether they'd fellowship one another. But there were no Baptist conventions. The Southern Baptist Convention came out of that later on. 
And what happened was, now the churches, they just, instead of being directly involved in planting churches, individuals being directly involved from churches, being directly involved in planting churches and giving money from individual churches directly, they just send it all to the convention. And the convention does it all. You know what that does? That removes individual responsibility, accountability. It also removes individual being actively involved in it. And we've lost our effectiveness. We've given it to the denominations to do it. Thank God there's still some of us that think we ought to do it the right way. You know, isn't it great when you know that you can know where your money's gone and that you have a direct part in what's going on in Taiwan or, or right here in Rollsville? I mean, you participate in going out and knocking on doors and see people come to church and, you know, have Bible says you, you are directly involved. Yeah, I grew up in a Mennonite church, and, of course, I, I didn't know what a missionary was. I know people that have been growing up in Southern Baptist churches, and they said they they didn't they never met the missionaries church board. You know, God wants us to seek His face, to be directly involved in His work. We need to seek His way. This is a pattern we find in the New Testament: churches directly involved. That means the people in the church is directly involved. So there needs to be supplication. We need to bring our our sin, confess it to him, but we also need to seek his way and not our way. But I want you to notice the third thing. The third thing we see here is repudiation. Uh, he says, not only were we to seek his face, but he says, and turn from their wicked ways. Repudiation. In other words, we're to turn away or to separate from, our, from evil ways. We're to turn away from it. Turn away from it. Uh, we have examples of this in the Bible, uh, many, many examples. Let's look at a couple. First Corinthians, or First Kings, I'm sorry. First Kings chapter 15. First Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings 15, verses 11 and 12. It says, And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. And also Maacah his mother, even her he removed from being queen, because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burned it by the brook Kindred. Uh, So here he is. Asa is putting away and turning away from these idols. In 1 Kings chapter 22, another king, chapter 22, verse 43, uh, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, verse 43 says, And he walked in all the ways of Asa his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. 
Verse 46, And the remnant of the, of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. So there wasn't a complete, um, um, you know, turning away, but, but there was a partial. But go to 2 Kings chapter 18, in verse 1. 2 Kings 18, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abbe, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, and brake the images, and cut down the groves, and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it in the hush tent. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him in all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and he departed not from following him, but kept his commandments for the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. So, you know, here Hezekiah, you know, who doesn't, didn't have a godly father, he had no fatherly example to follow, and he comes in and he begins to, to, to he cleansed, of course, Zechariah, Chronicles tells us he also cleansed the house of the Lord, but, but he gets rid of these idols, he gets rid of the, the high places, uh, destroys this brazen serpent, and he seeks the Lord, and not only that, he says, I'm not sending God's money to the king of Assyria anymore. I'm not giving it to him. See, he turned away. There must be a turning away from that which hinders our walk with the Lord. In Joshua chapter 24, just before his death, Joshua challenged the children of Israel concerning their relationship with the Lord. And in verse 14 of Joshua 24, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers have served, which were on the other, uh, other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great sins, signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will serve, also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord. Ye cannot. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after you have done good. And the people answered, and Joshua said, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you this day to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart on the Lord your God. You know, Joshua says, you know, you can't. You've got idols. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 36, that you cannot serve God and mammon. 
And that's what Joshua's saying here. Look, if you're going to serve the Lord, you need to get rid of your idols. God will be secondary to no one. If you want the blessing of the Lord, you have to put away your idols. There's something hindering you from fully and effectively serving the Lord faithfully. You need to turn away from it. You need to repudiate. Yeah, that word's a strong word. It really means to divorce from it. Get rid of it. In Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel, of course, pleading with the children of Israel. Ezekiel 18, verse 30, 32, he says, Therefore I would judge you, a house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth saith the Lord God, wherefore turn yourselves and live. So the Lord says, we need to humble ourselves, we need to seek his face, and we need to turn away from those things that are an offense to a holy and righteous God. We turn away from them. And then, and then he says, Then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, mine ears attent, unto the prayer that is made in this place. You know, God's eyes are always open, and, and God's ears are always attent to us if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face but when we put away those things that displease him then he will hear then there will be restoration you know this was the thing that Jeremiah and the prophets of old told the children of Israel over and over and over again that when they would turn from their sins God would hear God would act on their behalf in Jeremiah 31 and verse 9, Jeremiah 31, 9, They shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. I mean, when they come with weeping and supplications, I'll lead them. Or Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Of course, again, this is speaking specifically to the children of Israel, but, but the principles are the same. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 through 15, says, And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in due season. The first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat 
and be full. Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside, and serve other gods, and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he set up heaven, that there be no rain, and the land yield not her fruit, lest you perish quickly from off the good land, which the Lord thy God giveth you. You see, what is true for the children of Israel is true for us. If we will seek the Lord, he will be found of us. In Psalm 81, verses 10 through 16, the psalmist said, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. You know the kings that sought the Lord with all their heart? Had the greatest and the most blessed of reigns in the children of Israel during that time. See, they they opened their hearts wide, and God gave them his blessing, his richest blessing. But he says in verse 11, But my people would not hearken unto my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Although my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways, I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have been submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. You see, the restoration, the blessing was theirs if they sought it, if they'd lay aside the iniquities, the sin which beset them. And it is ours. You know, again, these principles are the same for us today. You know, somebody might say, what can I do for my country? What is the greatest thing I can do for my country? Let me give you three things. And they're really, they're really given to us here in this passage. And I'm talking about as individuals and as a church. Number one, repent and receive Christ as Savior. That's really, if you, was, if you would put the humiliation the supplication and the repudiation, all together what you have is repentance. Because repentance is a change of mind with a, it's a change, and a change of will. It includes a change of the will. So you're turning away from those things that displease the Lord and turning to, the, to what pleases the Lord. So repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the first thing. second thing is, to join a Bible-believing Baptist church that is active in reaching their community with the gospel and around the world through missions. By the way, this is how they did it in the 1700s, leading up to the War for Independence. And they had the greatest impact during that time. 
I mean, you know, with all the churches that were started through Shubal Stearns and, and, and the people out of his church in the South, and, and even during that time, there were churches being started in New England, in, in oppressive Massachusetts. And they were having an impact. Isaac Backus in, New, in Connecticut. So, again, we've lost our effectiveness through the denominational and, and conventions and all those things. So, so it goes back to a local church. You know, in, thirdly, invest your time, your talents, and your money through a local church. As an active witness, financially supporting it, and supporting it by prayer in reaching people and souls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that's the only thing that's going to transform our nation. That's the only thing. Again, remind you what Thomas Jefferson said. Christianity is the only religion that changes the heart. America's problem is not a political one. America's problem is not a cultural one. Although, no, that's all fruits of a heart problem. A heart problem. A heart that is not right with God. And I've said this many times. We're not going to win this battle with arms. It's with a philosophy of life. It's with, with ideas. It's with the gospel of Christ that changes hearts. You see, this will transform our homes, our cities, our states, and our nation. You know, one of the things a lot of politicians are starting to do is to saying they're getting, what's the word they use? Grassroots support. You know, the Democrats get support from outside the country in all kinds of places and pour in millions of dollars. And the only way the conservatives can, can compete is with grassroots support. Numbers of individuals on local levels. That's how we're going to change. We've got to get involved as Christians at the grassroots. Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's the only hope for our nation. That's the only hope for our nation. That's the only hope. For us as individuals and as a church. You know, I'm not saying we should not be involved. We should. We should let our voices be heard. But our primary focus should be on reaching people with the gospel of Christ, which will transform their lives, which will transform our community our state and our nation you see that's going to take a long time hey we didn't get to where we are overnight 
and we can't get back to where we were overnight, it starts right here in the hearts of people. So where are you this morning? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? Have you repented of your sin? Are you actively involved? What is your primary focus in life? Is it God's work? Or 